dismissed the kindergarten and first graders. And as they make their way back, let me just uh, pray again for us. Lord, uh, I am trusting in your word every week, but this week particularly, that you would uh, be like a, a sword and would pierce into every soul here, whether you're 10 or 15 or 25 or 45 or 75, that this word, you would prompt everyone here to, to say, this is the word of the Lord for me today. Help us to hear that word. Help us to, to respond to that word. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you remember the Highlights magazine? Remember this magazine? I don't know. Do they still make the magazine? Could you ever get a subscription to the magazine, or was it just in dentist's offices only? I mean, I don't remember if I got one, but I do remember going to the dentist office, and, you know, you could read the Highlights magazine. And I don't know, they had sort of regular articles, I guess, but the highlight, the, the, the highlight for me in the Highlights magazine what, think, think about what was, the, what was your highlight. What, what did you like? If you went to the dentist's office and you had enough time, you turned in your highlights magazine to the hide and seek or seek and find or hidden picture or whatever that was called. Remember that? I love that. And so you have to find a spatula or a comb or a shoe or like a needle. That was always the hardest thing to find. Where's the needle? And I hated when I walked into the dentist's office and I opened it up and somebody had already circled all the objects. That just drove me crazy. But there was, another, there was another piece of the Highlight magazine that was really, I guess, one of my least favorites. Goofus and Gallant. I don't know if you remember Goofus and Gallant, but it was always just sort of two squares and a little picture. And there were two boys who sort of looked like each other, Goofus and Gallant. They were eight or ten. And Gallant was always doing something that was noble and right, and you were supposed to be more like Gallant. And Goofus, obviously, was always goofing it up. He was always doing something that was self-centered. So Gallant shares his lunch with everyone, and Goofus takes everything for himself. You know, Gallant shares his apple, and Goofus injects it with poison and gives it to his friend, or whatever that is, you know, was in there. I don't think that one was in there, but something like that. And I guess what was irritating about Goofus and Gallant was that I just, when I looked at Goofus, I just thought, Doofus. Because I thought if he was just a little smarter, he could get away with all of his evil deeds. And so I just was irritated that he wasn't smart enough to get away with stealing the last apple. And then Gallant was just too... He was just too right. I mean, I just wanted him to do something that wasn't right. I had three older sisters, and I always waited for Gallant to do something that would irritate an older sister. And so when you look at those two uh, categories, you can see that the obviously the, the Highlight magazine was trying to help you see, hey, this is the right way to move, and, and this isn't the right way to move. And that's essentially when we're coming to this text, what John is saying, he's writing a letter, and primarily he's contrasting these two different people. 
He's saying, Gaius, I'm, 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 or Gaius, I'm writing you this letter, and I'm going to be affirming the things that you're doing well. And, and everyone who's reading this letter needs to look at Gaius and say, this is the way in which you should walk. This is the model that you should follow. And then he's going to bring up Diatrephus, and he's going to say, I see what's happening there. He's going to begin to deal with it, and he's going to call out Diatrephus. And so when we look at the letter, I want us to look at both of the different characters, and I also want us to see how John is responding to both characters. And somewhere in this, oh, half a dozen points that may be made, I am trusting that the Lord is really going to be speaking to you and say, that's what I needed to hear, even though you may not have known it when you came in. So let's just first look at how John is a leader to Gaius. Now, we don't know much more about Gaius, really, than what's contained in this letter. It's a fairly common name, and there are other names in the Bible that have Gaius, but we just think this is what we know about this particular man. He's not associated with any great movement. You won't find his name if you look at a church history book. You won't find his name in any kind of top ten list of anything that's done that's been remarkable. He, he's just a faithful member. He's struggling along in what's probably a somewhat divided church. He's just a, this link in the chain. I mean, when you, when you look at the chain link fence... You just sort of see the whole fence. You, you never zero in on just one of the links, and that's, that's all he is. He's, he's Gaius. He's just one, one little unknown link in this chain of the early church. Gaius is like most of us. I mean, we're not going to get our names in any kind of church history book. A hundred years from now, doubtful anybody would remember us other than some picture and I, well this is the group that founded the church or was here in the beginning or something like that but what all of us including myself we're just a little link in the chain we're just trying to live it out faithfully every day like Gaius and the thing I want you to notice about John's leadership here in dealing with Gaius is how encouraging John is I mean, here you have the last living disciple of Jesus. You have a man who's been writing books of the Bible. He's been training up young men. He's been planting churches. And he takes his time out to write a personal letter to Gaius. And, and, and I'm just trying to imagine what Gaius must have been thinking. Here he is. He's just sort of faithfully working out his life. He's serving missionaries. He's trying his best, I, I'm guessing, to serve alongside this guy named Diatrephes, who's really kind of a wrecking ball inside the church. And he's just trying to move the ball down the court. And the church secretary calls and says, hey, you got a letter. It's from the Apostle John, and it's written to you. And I, I wonder how that might have made Gaius feel. <gasps> a letter. I mean, John wrote just to me, just one of the links in the chain. No, no particular big man in the church. I'm just faithfully walking it out. But he took time to write me a letter. 
mean, I, w- I wonder what kind of fuel that added to Gaius's relationship and his willingness to walk forward, that somebody like the stature of John would say, I'm going to just take some time here and invest in you and think about you and encourage you. I'm going to write you a letter. I wonder what Gaius did with that letter. I'm sort of guessing he, he laminated it. I mean, I don't know what you would have done back then, but, you know, I'm, I'm thinking it was, you know, above his fireplace. Well, not the fireplace, I guess, if it was a letter, but somewhere prominently displayed that he could say, hey, I know I'm nobody, but look who wrote me a letter. John wrote me this letter. I mean, what an incredible encouragement. And, and I'm just wondering which words he must have picked up on, and I'm guessing these. Dear friend, beloved one, I'm praying for you. I'm rejoicing because of your faithfulness. Remember to imitate what is good. I can't wait to see you face to face. I mean, I'm betting he read this letter a thousand times. This is my first point, and it's no great theological point. But it's time for some of you to write that letter. I mean, God's been placing on your heart someone. I've just got to take time to write them a letter and tell them how encouraging they've been to me. Not just a phone call, not just an email, but something that they can sort of pick back up and holding their hands and saying, okay, yes, that's like adding fuel again. And somebody has invested in your life. Somebody that you know is struggling and needs some word of encouragement. And God is telling you, you know that person. And you need to be the person who writes a letter of encouragement. You know, doing the, the pastoring of a church is a great honor and it, a lot of great things happen, but it's very difficult at times. And so I keep a stack of encouraging letters in my desk. It's not uh, across the hallway. It's, it's as soon as I need it, I can open it up. And so I just keep them there so I can read things like this when I feel like, hey, I'm just going to hang up the cleats after this Sunday and call it uh, a game Thanks for preaching the truth, Paul, for teaching the truth, for shepherding the sheep, for leading Christ's community, loving your wife the way Christ loved the church, bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, establishing the church as the pillar and ground of the truth, being a friend, being a spiritual father. I mean, I need that fuel. I mean, there are days that I just go, that's, you know, it's over. Working on my resume today, not anything else. And I know you have those days. And although a phone call is helpful, how many times have I read this letter? Plenty of times. So it may be today is your day. Don't say, yeah, I'm going to get that to this week. I'm going to put it on my to-do list. Today's the day. You go home. You write the letter and you say, hey, I've been praying for you. I've been encouraged by your faithfulness.
second thing that we see here about Gaius's or now let's look at Gaius's character. We see how John responds to Gaius now. Let's look at Gaius's character. And I'm just letting you know, I'm looking at, at you all and I'm wanting a church full of Gaiuses. So take note, understand his character here and let's try to imitate that together. Verse 3. Brothers came to me, came to John, and they gave a testimony about Gaius. And this is what they said. That they testified to your truth. Brothers came to John. They had visited whatever the church that Gaius was in. And they came back and John was saying, well, just tell me about some of the men in the church. Well, oh, Gaius, he really is holding on to the truth. I just want you to notice that people were noticing people in the church. They just weren't sitting somewhere randomly, shaking a few hands and walking out, but people were looking around and saying, who's holding on to the truth here? And then notice the second thing. Indeed, you were walking in the truth. We're just not talking about people who know the truth. We're talking about people who know the truth and are walking in the truth. Anybody here can know the truth. And knowing the truth is not enough. It's a great place to start. But as we said last week when we looked at the second letter of John, knowing the truth is equal to being Satan. Satan knows the truth. But what does Satan not want to do? He doesn't want to walk according to the truth. He has no desire to walk in that way. And so people are watching and they're watching two different things do you know the truth about jesus christ and then if you say i do they're watching you when you say you know the truth but i'm watching and i'm wondering if you're a middle school student, or if you're a high school student, or if you're a college student, if you're friends, if you're a girlfriend or boyfriend, if you're a teammate, if you're a classmate, if they were coming to give a report to me about you, what would they say? What would be their testimony? Would they say, well, you know, he says or she says one thing, but man, when you see them out, they're walking in a different direction. What would their testimony be about you? If you're a, a husband or a wife, if you're a parent, and, and your spouse were coming to me, or, or your whole family were coming to me, and they were going to give a report about how you acted at home, what would their testimony be? Well, he knows or she knows the truth, but how do they walk it out? Are they really walking the truth out? If my family, if Nancy and Zachary and Morgan were to come to you and they were going to give you a testimony about the pastor and say, well, you know, it's great on Sundays. He's really excited, but what about on Monday? I mean, isn't that what you want to know? I mean, you're happy to hear the truth, but you want to see if the person's walking it out. And for some of you, you need to hear, this is the word for you. I'm elbowing you right now. 
you know the truth, but you're not walking in it. You're in at my high school friends and my kids' age. You're a poser. You know what that is? You're, you're an imposter. You're posing as a Christian, but you're not acting as a Christian. But you don't just have to be a high school student that way. You can be a businessman. What if your clients, what if your customers came to me and they were going to give a testimony to me about how you lived in the business world? What would they say? And so we have a great model here in Gaius. He's not just holding on to the truth. He's walking in the truth. Second characteristic that we see in Gaius is that not only does he hold on and walk according to the truth, but he practices it in a particular way, and that is through hospitality. What was happening back in this time was that John was aging. He's a much older man now. He's raising up the next generation of church leaders, church planners, missionaries, and he's trying to build them up and then send them out. And so they get sent out across to Asia Minor or wherever else they may go, and they come to these towns, and they're not getting any financial support from the town itself. They're really dependent on the church or the Christians in that town. And so Gaius was receiving these people. He's bringing them into their home. They're total strangers to him, but he's supporting them, both financially by feeding them and housing them. He's encouraging them. He's praying for them, and then he sends them on their way. They're part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And I I think the best illustration for this, and I've used it a number of times, and I'm going to use it again because it's so helpful, is that what, what Gaius understands is that there are some people who are sent out, send out people, sent out people, and some support people. And Gaius is a support person. He understands that dynamic, as did this illustration from Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller was a great churchman in the 1800s in England. And at that point in church history in England, missions had really sort of just died off wasn't necessary to do missions. And he was starting a missionary society, and he was in a meeting with a man named William Carey, the father of, known now, known now as the father of modern missions. And this is what Andrew Fuller says at one of these meetings. There is a gold mine in India, but it seems as deep as the center of the earth. Who will go down to explore it? And William Carey responded to him, I will go down, but you must hold the rope. Somebody here needs to go down. And I don't know who it is. You might be 16, you might be 26, you might be 86. But you've had some sense of God saying, it's time for you to go down. It's time to leave your day job and go down. There is a whole continent that needs a Christian witness. 
And I need somebody, and I want it to be you. The rest of us have to be the support team. And to make sure we understand that the support team is not an easier thing to do, what do you have to do to hold on to a rope? You have to let go of whatever you're currently holding on to. And so there are people here that are holding on. And I think there are people here who are dying to be more supportive of missions and the cause of Christ, but they can't. And you know why? They're holding on. They're holding on to things of the world. I've got to have this kind of house. I've got to have this kind of car. I've got to have these kinds of things. I've got to live at this comfort level. And because I'm holding on to those things, I can't hold on to the rope. And there are people who are willing to go down, but nobody to hold the rope. And so this may be God speaking to you. I want you to go down. Or you need to let go of some things so you can hold the rope. Gaius understands that not everybody's called to do going down or to holding the rope. You're called to one of them, though, in part of fulfilling the Great Commission. So we see Gaius. We get a good picture of the kind of person he is. You understand why he's very helpful in his church. He's a man who understands the truth. He walks in the truth. And he holds on to people and supports people who are going out and doing the difficult work of missions. Now let's turn to the evil twin, Diatrephus. There's somebody like this in every church congregation. And before we talk about his character, I just want to note two things. First of all, there are people here that have a very negative view of the church because you grew up in a church or you got exposed to a church or went to a church where really the people who were in charge were hypocrites and abused power. I mean, you saw it. You, you could say, yeah, I mean, that's the way they are on Sunday, but I, I, I know, they're hypocritical. Or they're just using their power. They, maybe they can't get their way any other place, and they get into the church, and they just, they just boss people around. And so, so you got into a church at that point, and you began to see the leadership in that way, and it became just a total turnoff. And you just thought, I'm just, I'm just pushing all of that out the door. I'm not going to have anything to do with church if that's the way church is going to be. And I want you to know that the Bible uh, agrees with your frustration. The Bible sees that in churches. But the Bible never assumes that only the good people are going to be in the church and all the bad people are going to be out on the golf course. It doesn't say that. You shouldn't get a false idea that when you come to church, it's just the good people who got inside today. And the bad people are out there. But what the Bible does say is it helps you know how to address those people in the church. And so those kinds of people are going to be in the church, and the church needs to know how to address 
those kinds of people. The second thing I want to say is that if you're ever looking for a reason to walk away from the church, I want you to know and be sure that every church, including Christ Community Church, will continue to continue to provide you a reason to walk out the door. Let me say that again. If you're ever looking for a reason to walk out the door, Christ Community Church and every other church will provide a reason for you to walk out the door. There will be people in the church that if you're looking for a reason to get out, you'll just point to them, you'll dump everything on them and say, just because of them, I'm leaving. And so we have to ask ourselves, who are we really worshiping when we come to church? Are we worshiping the people in the pews? Are we worshiping the pastor? Are we worshiping the Savior? Well, let's see how John deals with uh, diatrifles, because I think this is a very important part of reading through this letter. Let's first just note in verse 9 what his main problem is. It's a very common problem. What does it say? He likes to put himself first. You know what that means in the Greek? He likes to put himself first. It's not complicated. John's being very straightforward. We have somebody who's coming to the church, and he's really just about himself. He's just about his own agenda. He wants to be the chief. He wants to be in charge. He wants to make sure everybody's, everything's moving through him. He's got to be first. He's got to be preeminent. He's got to have a position of power. Now, how does John notice this particular quality in a person so quickly? Why would John be sensitive to this kind of characteristic in a person in the church? Because John was that way. I mean, you mostly get irritated at people who have your faults. Because you see those things and you get frustrated at those things. And John is looking into this church and saying, Oh, I could spot that from a mile away because I look it in the mirror every day. You remember in Mark chapter 10? Ah, Jesus. James and I have this little question we want to ask you. Oh, yeah, what what do you two want, James and John? We want you to do whatever we say. Can you imagine? Jesus, just one little thing. What is it? Whatever we say. And it's like a genie in the bottle. You get three wishes. What's the first wish? A hundred more wishes. You just want Jesus to operate according to your own agenda. What is it you want, gentlemen? We just want the power positions, the one at the right, the one at the left. And all the other disciples in their humility came in and said, that's fine, they can take those positions. No, they became indignant. Why didn't we ask first? Darn it, I was thinking of that. They always jump in ahead of me when I want to be first. And so you have this group of 12 men who are always trying to promote themselves. They're always trying to be first. They want the positions of power. They want to make sure everything goes through them. They have their own agenda, and they want to make sure God is operating according to that agenda. And so John 
is very aware of this characteristic in people because he understands it. And Jesus then takes his 12 disciples aside and says, You know, men, those that who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. They're high officials. They're, they're always exercising authority. Not so with you. Not so with you. We're not operating that way. Here's how we're operating. Instead, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first has to be a slave. For the Son of Man did not come to be served. He did not come to be first, but to serve, to be last. And where do you think this me-first attitude got finally stripped away for John? As he sat and watched Jesus die on the cross. Jesus was saying, John, you want to be first? Come on up. This is the way. You want to be first in the kingdom of God? You want to be preeminent? I mean, you can be. This is the way you go. But see, Diotrephus, he didn't have that idea. He, he wanted to be first. He wanted to make sure that he was seen. And so there's a bit of a diagnosis here that John gives in verses 9 and 10. And, and I want you to use this diagnosis. Because there's some of you that have just the beginnings of this vine growing. You know, it's a lot easier to pull a vine out when it's just, just off the ground than it's got itself wrapped around a tree. And so this may be the point that you need to hear. And let's just notice this, this diagnosis. First, verse 9, he refuses to live under authority. Oh, he doesn't like to be told what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. I enjoy telling people what to do. That's what I enjoy. But I don't want to be told what to do. And I wonder... When you get no as an answer, what's your response to that? See, that's, that's where you can tell if the vine's starting to sprout. When, when, when somebody says no, and do, do you just feel comfortable when you're in charge, and when you're not in charge, you don't feel that comfortable? Second thing. Uh, Diotrephus is talking wicked nonsense. It's a, it's a very harsh term for gossip. And in the Greek, it has a great picture. It's, it's these bubbles that come out of a boiling pot. And so what's happening in this church is it's, it's, it's boiling. And all Diotrephus is is a big gas bubble. It looks like something's going to happen, but what happens when it breaks the surface? It's empty. It, it doesn't really have any power or authority, but it, it just feels like I've got I've to let everybody know what I think. 
people are going to benefit when I, when I just tell them what I think. And then they're surely going to go in my direction. Because I'm always right. Because you see here, it all has to funnel through diatrophus. You notice what's happening in verse 10? When people are sent from the outside, when John sends people, what does Diotrephus says? They show up at the door and Diotrephus says, you know, you're just not for my agenda. You're out. If you don't come through me, if, if I don't get your, my fingerprints on you first, if you, if you come from John, you just can't come in. Because I'm first here and I don't, I don't want anybody messing with that. And hey, you people on the inside, if you're for some of the people that John are sending, you can see the door. You see what's happening? He's just a complete wrecking ball on the church. He's not just a, a pain in the neck. He's a bottleneck. Everything has to come through him. He gets to decide everything that happens. And he finds himself on committees and in leadership roles, and he's just making sure that everything goes through diatrophus. Not for the benefit and the glory of God's name, but for his own. I want to make sure people see me and know that I'm at the critical position. That's the character of diatrophus. The biggest position of danger to become diatrophus in a church is the person who stands behind this place. That's the biggest temptation. That everything would have to funnel through this one person. But it could happen if you're an elder. It could happen if you're a deacon. It could happen if you're a founder of the church. Hey, I've been around longer than everybody else, and so I know it can happen to anybody here. And I'm wondering, do you see that root in your life? Is God saying, that's you? Then repent. Bring it before the Lord and ask for some help from somebody. But don't let it keep growing so that you begin to choke the life out of your church. And maybe the most critical piece here in Diotrephus is John's leadership to or with him. Verse 10. John had a personal response to Gaius, encouragement. John has a personal response to Diotrephus. Tell Diotrephus, if I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing. How would you like to be Diotrephus at this point? The last living disciple. The, the, the old John has come to town. I'm sure this is an erroneous picture. I want you to hear me say this. But here was the picture that I got. I got the picture of one of these old westerns where the bad guys had come into the small town and taken over the small town and harassed the sort of poor, helpless, innocent townsfolk. And then Sheriff John came to town. 
and he comes sort of over the horizon. And he gets his match out, and he strikes it on his beard, and he lights up this little small cigar that he's got. He's always squinting into the sun. I mean, no matter what camera angle, squinting. Pulls back his, you know, chest, and, and John was named in the, in, the new, in the Gospels the Son of Thunder. So he's got Son of Thunder right across his vest. And, and in the, he's got his spur spinning, you know, and it's, you know, this music in the background. And you know Diatrophus is going down. Now, like I said, I'm sure that's an erroneous picture. But I want you to be sure that John is coming in and he is going to have a face-to-face with Diatrophus. The problem in the church, the problem in our nation, the problem in most families is not usually big egos. The biggest problem is that the people who are on the leadership will not have a face-to-face with the people who are a problem. That's the biggest problem. And until we have families and churches and a nation who can stand up to smaller people who are wrecking balls, then we're not going to go anywhere. Everyone suffers in a church when two or three people come in and have a stranglehold on them. And the problem is not those two or three people because you're going to have those two or three people all the time. The problem is when the leadership doesn't come in and say, you know what, we're not having you around anymore. We're not going that way. When the authority steps back, then you've got a big problem. You see that in Genesis chapter 3. Adam steps back. He gives up and secedes his authority, and you've got a problem. So you could be in a leadership role here. You could be an elder. I see some of them here. You and I are going to have to step up. And it might be stepping up to people in that group. As far as we know, Diatrophus was in a leadership position of some kind. And say, we're not going that way. Everyone here could pray for the elders. This this is the most difficult thing to do. Baptizing someone, hearing a testimony, reaching out to the community. I mean, that's not nearly as hard as facing down enemies that come in and are wrecking balls. I have a call to action. What is it for you? Do you need to be a better encourager? You need you need to come alongside people. Is that was that the point at which God said that's you? You looked at the character of Diatrophus and you said, you know, I'm believing the truth. I'm I'm just not walking in the truth. I'm a fake. I'm a phony. Was that the point? Was God speaking to you when I said some people? have to go down. Is that you? 
So you need to let go of things in order to hold on to the rope. Do you see a weed growing in your life that if you looked at it, it, I want to be first? Do you see any of those roots taking place in your life? I'm going to let some music play and we'll just have a few minutes here before the Lord. And you, If you want to come forward, Again, I don't think there's anything magic about doing this. It's just like communion. Sometimes it's helpful to just step out and come forward and just for a moment say, Lord, this, this was it for me and you. And, and I need your help. Whatever you may need to pray. If you can't, if your knees are too rubbery, then you can just do it there in your aisle. Well, let's take a few minutes for the Lord to deal with each, each one of us.